You're listening to Boss Tone Radio, Talk for Guitar, presented by BossUS.com. Hey, Paul Hansen here. Welcome to Boss Tone Radio. This edition, we've got another really interesting guitarist. His name is Chris Payton. Chris is the guitarist for the mega platinum selling superstar Robin Thicke. I got Chris on the line while he was in Houston doing the Blurred Lines tour. Without further ado, here's my interview with Chris Payton. Dang, Chris, you're in Robin Thicke's band. What a huge gig. How long have you been in that band? Man, I've been playing with Robin going on three years now. So are you in your 20s? Yeah, I'm actually 20 years old. You're 20 years old? Yes, sir. I started playing with Robin fresh out of high school at the age of 18. I remember playing in bands when I wasn't 21, and all the guys would go to the bar, and then I had to stay outside. Are you experiencing that? Oh, man, all the time. <laughs> <Wouldn't> even... <laughs> you, are, you just said it. You know how it goes. And it... <laughs> yeah, how long do you have until you're 21? I'll be 21 in July. Oh, so you just have to hang in there until July. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be legal. <laughs> so last night... Right now you're in Houston, and you played the Houston Rodeo, which is basically that's Texans Reliant Stadium, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. So I read this morning that there were 61,000 people at the show last night. Oh, really? <laughs> were you guys in the round where you slowly spin and the stage faces different parts of the stadium? That's exactly what we did. We were turning very, very slowly, but we, we faced the whole stadium. It was a really good experience. It, it is a weird feeling because you look up from your guitar, and all of a sudden you're looking at something completely different. Right. I know that feeling, yeah. What does that sound like? 61,000 people? That's like being at a, a NFL playoff game. Uh, I can honestly say it was different. I had my inner ears in. In-ear monitors, yeah. I took one out for a brief second at the end of the song just to hear the crowd. Well, I could not believe it. Wow. So um, today you have the day off. You're on the Blurred Lines tour. I read the song Blurred Lines sold 6 million copies, and it was number one for 14 weeks or something. It's the biggest hit of 2013. Um, do you have a lot of screaming fans? Man, you wouldn't believe it, man. That song has crossed over. We've had the chance to go all over the globe. We went to the Far East. We've been all over Europe and, of course, all over the United States. And it's funny that everyone in the band just received a plaque. A plaque? The song actually sold 10 million singles worldwide. 10 million? I'm just honored to be a part of something so groundbreaking, such a history-making record. I'm just happy to be a part of the band and just experience all the, all the glory and the accolades. It's really fun, man. Oh, Humbled man. By it. Yeah, and you're only 20. I mean, it's... <laughs> I was noticing on the song, Blurred Lines, do you use a pick and then play the upbeat chords with the with your fingers? Actually, I do, I do use a pick. I just roll the tone knob maybe down to about one or two on my PRS. Uh, it gives it like, you know, there's a muffle, you know, almost like a Rhodes, Rhodes piano yeah. type of sound. Right. Just emulate that as, as best as I can. I read you have upcoming concerts in Austin, Denver, Phoenix, New Orleans, but you just mentioned you played all over the world. Any gigs in the last few years that really stand out in your mind? A couple of my favorites were um, playing at the legendary O2 Arena in London. O2 Arena, yeah. That was a big thing. 
very fun one that I'll never forget was we did the world stage, MTV world stage in Malaysia. Huh. That was a very, very fun, fun experience. And, you know, we, we've been to Germany, Norway, Scotland, Ireland, all basically all over the UK and almost of Europe. And it was just crazy fun. I've just been soaking it up. It's really been a great time. The only thing is just you, you got to wait till July. In Europe, you can go into the bars. <laughs> Not right? in Europe. Yeah, in Europe, you're okay. <laughs> yep, you know it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, are you guys on a tour bus going to the gigs? Yep, it's really nice. When I toured, the bands used Silver Eagle buses, but now, is yours like a Prevost, one of those kind of Euro buses? Absolutely, it's the Prevost bus, and we, we love it. Checked out two Xboxes in it. Big entertainment system with stereo surround sound. Oh, dude, I'm loving it. It's the works. Yeah, yeah. You probably have big flat panel LCD TVs and over the, all over the entire bus, man. I love it. Yeah. Hey, would you explain what an average day is like on tour when you, you know, get up and go throughout the day and then the end of the day? Could you take us through a regular day? Uh, sure, man. Um, for instance, a show day. Maybe 50-50, we'll check out of the hotel before the show. Uh-huh. Regular show, we'll wake up, sound check, usually is around about 3 o'clock, 3, 4 o'clock, if we sound check in the day. So, Chris, do you wake up, because you go to bed so late, do you wake up 11 or like that and then get room service or walk around or jog or what do you usually do? You know, if I'm in a city, a well-populated city like Miami or New York or something like that, near the East Coast time, I don't get up in the morning in California till around maybe 9 o'clock. So, you know, on any given day, I'll probably get up around 12. Yeah. 7, 12 in the mm-hmm. afternoon on the East Coast and then in, the, uh, in Central Mountain Time and all that good stuff. And I'll, I'll definitely eat. I'll find something closer, do room service. And uh, I'll just really lounge around, listen to music, even practice before it's time to go down to sound check. And we sound check and uh, eat dinner at the venue most times and do the show, man. It's really an easy day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Nothing intricate about it. You know, I remember doing some tours. I toured with one guy, Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. I just remember when I got off tour, my wife would, you know, tell me to go take the garbage out. And I would Mm -hmm. (laughs) think, hold it just a minute. When you're on tour, you get everybody doing stuff for you. And uh, it really is pretty, pretty much life as a rock star, huh? Yeah. It's carefree in a sense, man. You know, you have the workers and you have the crew and you have the runners at the venue and stuff like that. It, it, it's awesome, man. But I never, ever have just taken that for granted. I've never just abused that power just because, you know, we have people almost, I guess, in a sense, at our disposal, you know. But I never tried to think too much of that because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all we're all people, right? Yeah. I, I treat people right and respect them in all senses I can. That is so cool, Chris. You sound like you're much wiser than a typical 20-year-old. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us how you got this gig with Robin Thicke? How did it happen? Absolutely. Um, I have a brother. He's not, not my biological brother, but he's another guitar player that I've always been to since I was 15 years old. Uh-huh. And um, he plays for a rapper named Lil Wayne. Yeah, Lil Wayne. He, he had some dates with uh, Lil Wayne and... He wanted me to come do the Robin Thicke gig, you know, um, for a few months. And he called me uh, to do the gig, and Robin loved me, and I've been there ever since. That was in 2011. So, are you an L.A. guy? Yes, born and raised in L.A. 
Carson, California, to be exact, but no one really knows where Carson is, so I just say LA. Carson, I don't know. I lived in the Valley and then Santa Clarita for 20 years, but I don't even know where Carson is. <laughs> hey, do you know where Long Beach is? Yeah. Yes, it's a, it's a city next to Long Beach. So you guys are all really good singers. That's right. Everybody sings. Yeah, everyone sings background, yeah. <laughs> so did you grow up singing? Funny, I actually did. <laughs> I used to sing sing a lot of solos in church growing up, when, especially when I would play guitar. So I'd go in the front of the church and put my guitar and lead a song. And I, I, was, I was one of the main lead singers in the kids' choir growing up in church. <laughs> yeah, I read that you, um, you played with the gospel artist R.E.D.? Yeah, Dietrich Hatton, the name of the uh, album is R.E.D., yes. Yeah, the album is R.E.D., the artist is Dietrich Hatton. He's really good. Dietrich has a very versatile style. I always loved about him. I've been with Dietrich for the past couple of years, but he has a very versatile style. He can go from Michael Jackson to to Prince to, uh, to rock to <laughs> pop. He can do it all, man. He's a really versatile guy and has range like none other I've ever heard. <laughs> He's a great singer. So let's go back in time. You're growing up. I might have read that you started playing guitar at the age of four. Is that true? Yes, that's correct. What attracted you to guitar? Was your family musical? Absolutely. Uh, my uncles and my grandfather and a few cousins of mine had a gospel band, a quartet gospel band called the Gospel Peace. As a young child, I mean, as around three, four years old, I would always go to church with my grandparents go to the different outings they had to sing at, and I just always loved guitar. My grandfather, I would just sit and watch him practice in the garage for hours and hours and hours. Uh-huh. So I was so infatuated with that instrument. And at the age of four, they decided to give me a little plastic guitar. It's not a full-size guitar? It was a small? Yep, maybe the size of a mini squire, but it was plastic. Plastic. It wasn't even real. It made no noise. <laughs> and I would go out with them to different churches and outings. And at one point, they had even bought me the matching suits that they were wearing. I would go up on stage with them and just play side by side. No noise, no singing. I would just be up there rocking with them. Hey, I have pictures, actually, but I have to find them. My mother has some hanging around the house somewhere. But after that, they got me my first real guitar around before I turned five. Maybe spring of 1997, I believe. Yeah, I was born in 93, so yeah, they got me that. He showed me like the basics, like, you know, the E chord, the G chord, the D chord, different types of chains, the, the ultimate basics. And uh, I would try to learn the song, and I would just sit down. Maybe at the age of six, I would sit down and go over to my uncle's house. He had a bunch of gospel tapes, and I would literally sit those tapes in the VCR player and plug up my little amp that they got me, a little squire amp. You're a 20-year-old that actually remembers a VCR and tapes and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all I had at that time when I was learning how to play. Now you're six. Well, your uncle and your grandfather and your family influenced you. At a certain point, did you then discover... Like uh, maybe Jimi Hendrix or um, other guitar players? Man, you want to know something? The only guitar players I knew around that time were blues guys. My grandfather was a blues guy as well, but my mother also always, she loved blues. I was listening to B.B. King. Um, yeah. I was listening to Johnny Guitar Watson, Bobby Blue Bland, uh, Buddy guys, guys like that. And I had a real big blues influence coming up listening to those records and watching, of course, the quartet guitar players. I've watched some of 
your YouTube videos, and you have one where you're just jamming at Guitar Center that I saw the other day. And A, I notice that your time is just, your timing is so solid, and um, but also you're able to do the classic, you know, blues kind of style stuff, chord melody kind of things, and it sounded like you're you're a much more you know older player who'd studied the old style stuff. But I guess you, I really appreciate that, Paul. Thank you. I guess you just absorb it from your uncle and your grandfather, your family as a kid. And also, it's a couple of guys, a couple of LA guys, local guys that I really, really looked up to as I was coming up. Maybe around the age of twelve, thirteen, when when YouTube really just became popular. I would look up these guys named, this guy named Eric Walls, another guy named uh, Jugal Smith, um, another guy by the name of Agape, Jerry, and of course, uh, my big brother, Jarris Mosey. I forgot to mention his name earlier, but he was a big influence, you know, when YouTube came out, I used to watch the little guys on YouTube all the time. And they have a, a, a lot of L.A. guitar players, a lot of West Coast guitar players have a certain style playing uh-huh. that I've just always I've just always loved it. It's, like you said, it's a lot of chord melody and a lot of inversions in that type of playing. Yeah. That's the biggest influence I've had yeah. coming up, you know, with my guitar playing and trying to develop my own style. I saw a YouTube video, and maybe it was from a while back, and it's mm-hmm. uh, your song, a song called Find My Way, kind of chord oh, melody. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking that was almost like Jimi Hendrix's Little Wing. Were you influenced by that kind of stuff? No, it's funny. I don't know too many of Jimmy's songs. I just, you know, I know the main hit, but I've never really dug deep on Jimmy. Let's talk about TV shows you've been on. Oh, my gosh. You guys do TV a lot. Any of those TV shows stand out? Favorite TV show that I've done so far was probably Leno. Now, was that the one where... It might have been Love After War or something, and you're playing a Fender Combo. Do you use a Fender Combo amp now? Not anymore. I just recently got with Mesa Boogie. Oh, yeah. Started to use a 212 Lone Star Combo. Oh, that's a cool amp. So Leno was kind of cool because you grew up in L.A., and Leno's show is in Burbank, you know, just maybe 45 minutes away. Exactly. And uh, Paul Jackson Jr., another yeah. funny story about him. I met Paul in my 10th grade year of high school at a Grammy party held by Ricky Minor, I went to this, this performing arts school called uh, View Park. It was a charter school, but the jazz band director at uh, View Park was really, really well-known in the industry. His name was Fernando Pullum, and he would get us all these types of gigs, all this different exposure. And I met Paul Jackson Jr. at one of those parties. And- so, Chris, Paul Jackson Jr., he's been on a bunch of Michael Jackson records, and he's kind of a well-known... Session guy? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think he played the dun da dun da dun on Billy Jean. Dun da dun da dun. Absolutely. I remember a long time ago I did a session with him and he played me that Billy Jean lick and it just sounded exactly like the yeah, record. Went, went crazy, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's just really solid. And you have that same kind of thing. So go on with your story about Paul Jackson Jr. First time we ever did Leno, this was in 2000. I don't even remember the year. I just remember it was, it was around that time. And I, I saw Paul, and he remembered me from that Grammy party a few years back, maybe wow. two or three years ago. Uh-huh. And we talked 
and I saw that he was playing PRS. At this time, I was still playing at a Fender Telecaster, like a Telecaster special. It was, it was kind of modded out, but it wasn't the, right. the standard Telecaster. But I was still playing that. And uh, I was talking to Paul about his PRSs and stuff like that. And I said, man, I love this guitar. He was like, oh, you, oh, you do? Um, I'm going to give you the guy's number. His name is Lynn. He, uh, uh artist rep at PRS. But I'm going to give you this guy's number. Tell him I sent you. Uh-huh. And they'll take care of you. They'll do all this other stuff. And I've been with PRS ever since. So um, you have two humbuckings. Do you have a single coil on that guitar too? Uh, I actually have on the guitar playing right now, no. Actually, I'll take it back. The David Grissom I am playing has a coil tap, which will take the humbucking, second part of a single, uh, the humbucker out and make it sound like a single coil. The guitar, is it stock? No, the one they just made, they made me a special David Grissom model. It's a black and gold, because the theme of the two, I guess the color scheme of this tour, the Blurred Lines tour, was black and gold. Our drummer has a black and gold drum set. Martin has a black piano with gold inlays and all this other stuff. So uh-huh. they actually made me a black David Grissom with gold pickups and gold hardware and gold tuning machines and all that good stuff. But they put McCarty pickups in the Grissom, which come over to a different guitar. But uh-huh. the McCarty pickups are so, they slap you in the face, man. They're, they're just these thick, punchy, percussive humbuckers that, man, that, that drive me crazy. The one I'm playing right now is was special made for me, and I love it, too. So there's a lot of pop and a lot of um, kind of percussiveness, kind of percussion to it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It, it, it doesn't sound like the average humbucker. That's what I love about it so much. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, let's talk about your pedals. Do you have boss pedals? Man, maybe 60% of my pedal board are boss pedals. <laughs> I've been using boss pedals forever. My very first pedal, this is my grandfather, he gave it to me was a super favor. He gave me that at the age of seven years old, the green super favor. I still have that in my room. It's actually put up. I don't even want to use it anymore because it's so vintage to me. I don't, I don't want to touch it. It's just antique. In the middle, I don't touch it. So the new, I think the new Boss Phasers are green also. They're just always been green. Yeah, I probably so. I will believe so. I, don't, I haven't had the newest one yet, but I know this one came out in the 90s. So do you use any of the Boss Distortion pedals? Gary in L.A. Yeah, Gary Lanier from Boss. He gave me the new, the OD-1X. Yep, OD-1X Overdrive. Uh-huh. I'm using the Overdrive on my pedal board. That thing sounds amazing. It, it's so dynamic. You can play aggressively and you get the thick Overdrive sound, but you can also pull it back and dial your tone back. It'll sound so clear, so crisp with, with that little bit of Overdrive on it. Yeah. It's almost, you almost got the sound, the true sound of an amp. Amazing, dude. I fell in love with that pedal since he, uh, Gary let me demo it. And it's been on my pedal board now. And it'll never come off. <laughs> yeah, you know, Boss seems to uh, use technology to make, you know, things better every every year rather than going back and, you know, reissuing the old stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Both the OD-1X and the DS-1X they both use this multi-dimensional processing boss calls it. It's like a new new technology for pedals. I, I suppose when you want to tune your guitar, you probably have a tech you can just hand your guitar to. But do you also have a a tuner in your pedal board? Mm-hmm. I have a boss uh, TU3 on my on my pedal board. So do you often tune like last night at a show like that? Would you in between songs or 
places where you're laying out, do you click that on and check your tuning? Absolutely, because I play guitar with uh, with tremolo bridges. Uh huh. Even though I do have locking tuners, it can still have the capability to fall out at the snap of a finger. Yeah. So I definitely have to check tuning constantly throughout the show, especially after a solo, and I use a lot of bends and stuff like that. So. Do you use the whammy bar in solos? Absolutely, it, it's a it's a big part of my playing, man. Uh huh. Do you have the whammy bar so it's floating, so you can pull up on it in addition to pushing down? Absolutely, it's definitely it, it's maybe in, in the middle. It's not so floating that it'll just flop everywhere. It's right uh, about in the middle. It, any other boss pedals in your rig? Um, I have I have the tremolo, the green tremolo pedal. Oh yeah, I also TR two. I have the super course. Oh my god, the super course. Ah yeah. I absolutely have loved that pedal since I was about nine, ten years old. I, that pedal is just the epitome of what a course should sound like. Just for the record. <laughs> yeah. So I have tremolo. I have super course. And I have the tuner, and I have the uh, the new overdrive by Boss. So the super course, you don't run that stereo, do you? No, it's not grand stereo. Then you use the Mesa. Did you say Roadstar? Is that it? Lone Star. Lone Star. Yeah. Do you set the amp clean, then get distortion uh, if you want to from a pedal? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mainly stay on the clean section, the clean portion of that amp, and you know I brighten it a little bit. I turn the presence up about one o'clock and the treble about one o'clock as well. They make some make some uh, some good amps. They made really a clean sounding amp. Uh huh. I'm noticing. That your generation, I interviewed um, a girl who is Prince's guitar player, and uh, she runs her amps pretty clean. Her name's Donna. Okay. Donna Grantis. And uh, have you ever met her? No, I've never never heard her name before. I, yeah, I'm she's... She's playing for Prince, so she, she, she's the, yeah. the killer. <laughs> <laughs> but she runs her amps clean, and then when she gets distortion, she does it all from the pedals. And I think that your younger generation is more accepting of pedal distortion where us older guys, we always demand that, you know, the power tubes were distorting. Maybe distortion pedals nowadays are just better. Uh, I'll bet that's probably it. Like that OD1X is a really good pedal. Do you have any last words about Boss Gear? Man, all I can say is Boss has been producing the best pedals I've heard in a very long time. I've always loved boss pedals. So I got my super favorite given to me by my grandfather uh-huh. at the age of seven. Yeah. It's an incomparable sound, man. You can't find it anywhere else, but you guys have always been the innovator of the next phase of sound that you would expect from a pedal. Oh, uh, thanks. Absolutely, man. I love this company, and I hope to always support you guys as long as I play guitar. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. And uh, thanks for taking time out in your whirlwind tour. Good luck to you and the, the guys. Um, do you get to go back to L.A. at all in the near future? Oh, man, thank you for having me. First of all, let me yeah. say it was a pleasure to even be a part of this podcast. And I feel honored by that. Oh, thank you. And um, but yes, we get to L.A. next weekend. Yay! Yeah, I know, right? I can go home. <laughs> oh, great. Well, you have an awesome rest of the tour and an awesome time in, in beautiful Los Angeles. Thank you very much, Chris. Paul, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you. Hey, just want to mention Boss's website. 
That's BossUS.com, where you can find out all about Boss pedals and all kinds of Boss gear, including metronomes, drum machines, loopers, multi-effects, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Thanks to Chris Payton for coming on the show, and thank you for listening to the show and using Boss gear. Paul Hansen, saying I'll see you later.